Alright guys, welcome to episode 57 of the Bass Lessons Melbourne Player Profile Podcast. My name is Craig and in today's episode I am joined by Mr. Dave Bunshoft, who is president of Aguilar Amplification. Now, if you're in the bass world, I'm pretty sure you'll have heard of Aguilar. Um, they make killer amps, cabinets, pedals, preamps, um, you name it, they're doing it. Um, this interview was actually recorded uh, a little while ago, uh, and the guys over at Noisegate um, were kind enough to hook me up with this interview. Um, it was originally published on their site, so um, make sure you head over to the Noisegate Facebook page, um, give it a like, and subscribe. They do lots of cool reviews, interviews, um, gear stories and stuff, and they're based here in Melbourne. So um, heads up to Stevie, I met Stevie over there, we helped put this together. It was really good getting to chat to Dave, because um, I've used a ton of Aguilar gear. I've got Aguilar pedals, I've got Aguilar preamp, I've owned a DB750, um, I had an Aguilar AG500, so um, I know the gear, I know what it can do, I know that it is world class, um, but it was great to hear Dave's story and hear about his playing career, which I didn't really know much about, so you get to hear about his awesome session work, playing hip-hop stuff, um, the beginnings of Aguilar, and also what they're bringing to the plate in the future. So as always, guys, um, I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. Uh, if you could jump on and give it a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast from, subscribe, share it around, send me an email, info at basslessonsmelbourne.com. Um, if you've got any questions or suggestions, I'm open to info. Um, and this is brought to you as usual by F-Bass, the good guys Marcel and George over at F-Bass, who have been handcrafting guitars for over 40 years, modern and vintage inspired designs. So if you're in the market for a killer new instrument, head on over to www.fbass.com. All right, without further ado, this is episode 57, Dave Greenshaw. This is Craig from Bass Lessons Melbourne. I'm here at Noisegate with the president of Aguilar, Dave Binshoft. Dave? Craig, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to spend some time with you today. Um, you're down in Australia, down in Melbourne, um, to talk about, obviously, your range of sure. equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we could just maybe go back a little bit and talk about your days in New York leading up to the formation of Aguilar. Tell us how that came around. Okay, well, uh, I came to New York uh, from St. Louis, uh, and I wanted to uh, be a studio musician. So, uh, and I wanted to play with the really great players, which I perceived at the time that most of them were in New York. And yeah, in fact, there was quite still a- Still very much the case. <laughs> there was some terrific bass players, and still are. Yeah. Uh, so I ran around playing every possible gig I could get. Uh, some were good, some were bad, and some were just ugly, you know. Um, but to make a long story short, uh, I became acquainted through studio work with vintage audio gear mm-hmm. and decided I wanted a 
preamp that I could take with me to sessions and get my own sound, bypass the mic pre's in the console, and go straight to tape, which yeah, is yeah. no longer with us, but that's what we had back <laughs> then. So uh, that led to me searching out an engineer whose uh, name was Alex Aguilar. Right. And uh, together we designed the DB680. Yep. And uh, the product was just for me to take around. Uh, but due to entrepreneurial spirit, <laughs> I thought, you know, other bass players might like to have this. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the company. And so that was a, a tube preamp? Uh, it was an all tube preamp, although uh, it did have two dual parametric EQs right in the middle of it. Okay. And those uh, have to be solid state. So really it was a hybrid. We called it all tube, but uh, the parametrics obviously are in okay. the signal path. And it, and it was a hit, it was a success. People liked it. You know, uh, it was a great product for professional musicians. It had a lot of stuff on it that yeah. were great for recording. Uh, great uh, um, bounced output with yeah. the gang resistor switch, stuff that you don't necessarily have to have. Sure. Unless you're going to do a, a recording session and bypass the console. Yeah. Uh, so it was a great product. Some of the early adopters were John Patitucci, who's still one of our endorsers today. Mm -hmm. um, Howie Epstein, with, who was the great bass player that's unfortunately not with us any longer, yep. from uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, Tom Hamilton from Aerosmith. Okay. So it was a great product for professionals. and. Uh, I'm glad we made it. Now we have a much broader range of yeah. bass products. Yeah. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit more about your musical journey as a bass player. Sure. Um, and what's, what that's been like for you. Well, uh, you know, I was one of the generation of kids who sat in front of the TV and saw the Beatles play okay. on, on the Ed Sullivan show. And, uh, uh, you know, I always wanted to play guitar. Turned out uh, chords baffled me. <laughs> so I thought bass was going to be easier eventually. I became a bass player as a teenager and uh, uh, largely self-taught. Mm -hmm. um, I eventually came to New York to work as a session musician. And I did every conceivable gig, uh, Latin music. Uh, we did all kinds of recording. There was still a recording scene. So yeah. you didn't necessarily have to be at the top of the pile to do publishing demos. I did millions of uh, children's books. Okay. Uh, I toured with the Mamas and the Papas uh, right. the later years. You know, there was okay. always the... <laughs> so the later years, that was still a, a pretty good gig and great musicians on it. Uh, uh, jingle dates. Uh, and eventually uh, I became involved in a record company called Naked Music, which is uh, uh, st still exists today. It's a... Uh, Electronica, but we do kind of R&B and new soul music. Um, and my experience in the studios is largely what brought me to uh, wanting to design gear, but it really was for myself. I didn't start with an intention of being a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. uh, the funny thing about it is that we all have these kind of dark secrets. So my secret thing was, and I, and I didn't remember it. I think I had blocked it out because my father was an engineer, and he was one of those guys that, you know, if you wanted something, he would kind of go, well, we don't have to buy it. We'll just build it, you know, if something broke around the house. So every weekend, instead of being out with my buddies, 
it was like, today, we're going to reroute the bathroom, <laughs> or we're going to install a new toilet. It was like, you know, and he had his tool shop. These and, are great life skills. You know, uh, if you need me to reroute your bathroom, <laughs> I'm the guy. 1-800-DAVE-GROUT. I, I, I can do it. 1-800-DAVE-GROUT, yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, eventually, uh, I talked him into buying me an electric guitar, but I didn't have an amplifier. So I said, Dad, I need an amplifier. He was like, well, we could, why buy one? We can build one. That's, <laughs> how hard could it be? So, uh, and I was taking electronics in, uh, uh, in high school. And uh, so, I, you know, I got the circuit boards. And it, was, it was a Heath kit. I don't know if they have it here in Australia. But, um, you know, they sent you a bag of resistors and, you know, schematics and some boards. And, you know, you can populate the boards and... Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully it's going to work and everything. Mine never worked. Uh, and uh, eventually I bought an amp by saving my lunch money. I, <laughs> I saved it in a box and finally I bought an amp off of one of my friends because the one I built wasn't happening. Um, but I, sometimes I ask myself, what maybe after we built the preamp and I, I could have just gone off and continued with my... Uh, uh, such as it was, uh, career as a musician, yeah. what made me kind of go, you know, we can build one. <laughs> so, I, I, but uh, I think that's how it works from generation to generation. It's somewhere in my head, that was kind of going, it comes, you know, comes back around. it comes back around. We can build one and it, it'll add, you know, hopefully some value to the world and, yeah. and uh, can be, a, it, and now we look at it as a great journey of building musical tools and, and, you know, really, in the end, it's about the music. Yeah. It's not about the tools, and uh, that's what that's what we continue to try to do. So, yeah, nice. And so, going from from the six eighty, um, was the next step building into a power amp for the seven fifty? Yeah. Uh, you know, after we did that, we thought, all right, what are we missing here? <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, we thought a, a power amp would be a good idea. Mm. Now, at the time, we were very focused on tubes. Mm. So uh, we thought it would be a good idea to make a 400-watt tube monoblock. So it had two huge uh, transformers, both toroidal. As long as they were balanced on each side. They were balanced on okay. each side. It was, it was, it was, if you had the strength, <clears throat> you could pick it up without twisting. Right. Um, it used eight 6550s. Eight. Eight. So, uh, great sounding amp, very warm, mm. uh, and that went with the DB680. So if you had the full rig, you had a nice sized uh, six base rack. Yeah, and, uh, a couple of guys to lift a it. A couple guys to lift it, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was a truly great sounding rig. And, and there's still bass players out there today For sure. who have a 680 and a 728. Wow. Uh, and what, what is it, uh, do you think about tubes that bass players, recording engineers, audiophiles. What is it about tubes and valves that people like? Well, people like the way they distort because they distort in a very musical way. Uh, so, you know, you get the um, even uh, nodules on the overtone series. Right. The, the octaves, thirds, and fifths and make the music sound warm. Mm -hmm. And that's what separates music from noise is our ability to hear the overtones. You know, if you... Uh, tap on a on the stool here you're going to hear just a clunk mm. you're not going to hear any overtones so the combination of overtones that you hear them 
when you play a piano or hit a string yeah. uh, is what makes music sound uh, the good, yeah. the way we want it to hear. And, and tubes, tube distortion emphasizes yeah. the really uh, consonant overtones, the ones that make it sound rich and full. And when you're talking about distortion, we're not talking about overdriving. It's more no, about, it's, it's, no, not, it's, it's not so much a detectable. Yeah, it's not uh, fuzz. Yeah. It's, it's really an emphasis on the overtones that exist in the sure. overtone series. Yeah. The consonant ones. Yeah. So what were those early days like in, in Aguilar in, the, in New York? Well, uh, <clears throat> it was basically me and Alex. We had no employees. Um, and uh, we did everything. And then eventually we had one employee. Yeah. And then we had two. And we had a couple little rooms. Uh, one was down the hall. So as we added employees, some of them were down the hall. Some of them were over here. Uh, eventually, uh, we moved uh, to a much larger space in Soho, mm -hmm. uh, which we still have today. Right. And uh, we continued on there and, and grew from there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Alex and I split up uh, late 2003, and I continued on with uh, yeah. the company. And you started around 95, 1995? 1995. So uh, 2020 is our silver anniversary. Wow. So anybody who wants to spend, send, send some silver, anything silver, you can just <laughs> send it to Soho <laughs> and, and we'll appreciate it. You'll melt our, it down and make We'll it melt it down and yeah. make uh, silver amplifiers. It's funny because I still think of Aguilar as being a, a relatively new company in, right. in the base world, but when you say 25 years, it's like, well, yeah, not, right. not really. Well, the first, the first 10 years, I think we were a much more esoteric company. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, as we started to do uh, more hybrid amplifiers and then eventually all transistor amplifiers, uh, different speaker lines, pedals, mm -hmm. uh, I think that, that that would be the last 15 years. Yeah. So That's we great. had the first 10 years of being kind of esoteric tube base gear. Yeah. And then a very broad expansion, uh, expansion of the product line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it feels, you know, it's like anything. It feels like we just started last week, and then sometimes it feels like, oh man, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah, yeah. And obviously one of the biggest advancements in base technology of recent years is the use of digital power supplies and, sure. and amps and stuff right. like that. And you guys brought out the Tonehammer 500 mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. a few years ago. Right. Um, but you still also offer the tube, the revised DB751. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, how much of that kind of tube DNA or that mm -hmm. sound are you guys able to mm -hmm. transfer over into your lightweight? Well, you can transfer over a lot. Mm. So uh, the Tonehammer series, the 350, the 500, and the new 700, 700. Yep. are all amps that never really clean up. So they always have, they're designed to have that overtone emphasis that we were just talking about. Yeah. The uh, emphasis of the consonant overtones, that is what tubes have. So it's not anything that I would, I hate when people say, this is tube emulation. Yep. It's, you know, you either create that harmonic structure in the design or you don't. Right. Um, but the tone hammer has that, yeah. and it's designed to be that way, um, you know. And we certainly went for that that type of sound that's 
baked into the DB750 and now the 751. Yeah, right. And so what's different about the AG700 from example, the Tonehammer 700? Well, everything. Right. And, and okay. you know, uh, you know, it's funny people say, well, isn't the Tonehammer the, the Aguilar sound? The truth of the matter is that uh, we're just making good tools. Mm. And we thought, all right, well, what if somebody didn't want something that had that baked in uh, distortion or harmonically rich yep. overtone emphasis? What if we made an amp that was all about clean headroom? And uh, uh, because we have no problem with clean headroom, that's a beautiful thing too. It sure. has its own harmonic emphasis. Yeah. So the AG700 was a design that was uh, designed to be big and open um, and definitely uh, doesn't have the harmonic distortion that the tone hammer has. Yeah, right. So, you know, sometimes depending on how silly we're being, we'll say, you know, one's chicken, one's steak, which one, you know, you don't want to necessarily have. Sure. Have I mean, one I, all the time. In, in my time, I've had a 750, and I've sure. had, had one of the original um, AG500 mm -hmm. SCs, sure. just a single channel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I think that was kind of the first one. This 500 was the first one you brought out after the 750. Sure. sure. Yeah. The 500 was was definitely a hybrid of technology because it had a a uh, traditional toroidal power transformer. Yeah. But it was a Class D amplifier. Right. So it was a switching amp. Okay. Um, that was a great amp, and, and the AG700 mm. has it, even though the, the circuitry is different, we thought about the sound of the AG500 and what people did like about that amp yep. in designing the AG700. Okay. So we wanted to cover that territory. H hence why it's got a similar fascia and yeah. the AG. Yeah, yep, yep. All right. And it's interesting talking about the DB751, uh, not that we were, but well, we kind of were, yeah. but, but we are now. Yeah, we are now. Because I've changed the subject. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, you know, it's an all-two preamp and an extremely clean power section. Yep. So you think, okay, when you design an amp and you measure the distortion, you're measuring the total harmonic distortion. So once you use tubes, it's through the roof anyway. What, what would be the point of using a super clean power section? But it kind of adds up in a really specific way. Uh, and I kind of think of it like the Beatles. Okay. You know, not to, you know, because, you know, it's a combination of what everything is bringing to the it's table. Some, some is greater than the parts kind of thing. It really is. So this DB751 is a really clean power section yeah. and uh, an all-tube preamp. And it adds up. It's It sounds like a big, open, clean amp with the additional tube warmth. Mm. And, and that's why, even though it does weigh a bit. Does it? Well, you know, <laughs> it's about forty-three pounds. So, it's worth it. You know, it's 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 there. With, there have been heavier bass amps by by far. Yep. Uh, but it, <laughs> but it's it's that combination of elements that mm. uh, it's been many years that we've been making the seven fifty-one or its predecessor, yeah. and we still sell about the same amount of uh, those amps every month. That's great. Almost down to the uh, actual number. Yeah. Um, and over the years, you've kind of built up an amazing roster of mm -hmm. artists that, that you work with. Mm -hmm. um, how have they influenced the products that you've that you've been releasing? Well, generally, uh, generally they don't, because okay. I don't like to design by committee. And you know, I found out early on when uh, we were working on the 680, and uh, I was I felt insecure about the balanced output, some of the levels. 
So I started asking all my engineer friends, mm -hmm. and everybody had a different idea. Right. And uh, so one day I changed the some of the parameters, and and you know about a week later I thought, wow, why did I do that? That wasn't what you, you know what I wanted. So everybody has to use the tools, mm -hmm. and they're going to hear things differently and use them differently. Uh, but it's important that. Uh, between myself and our chief engineer, Goran Stankovic, and David Venius, who's part of the product mm. team, that we understand what we're doing and what we're offering. Mm. So uh, we'll take feedback, but it's always after the fact. Okay. Uh, the one exception was years ago, uh, Gary Willis, a great bass player, came into the shop and we were showing him our new GS112. Yep. And, uh, I had settled on a prototype that I said, this is it. I said, Gary, come into the sound room and take a listen. And uh, because we certainly want people's input, especially yeah. somebody that good. Yeah. Um, but I thought, you know, I'll just show him and he'll be impressed. So he was like, yeah, I don't know. And then he, he kind of wandered around the shop and he, you know, we had a pile of stuff we had rejected. And he said, what about that one? And right there, he just kind of zoned in on it. And, uh, I said, no, 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 don't look at that. Don't look. <laughs> That's done. Uh, but he insisted, and we put it in the sound room. And he played. About two hours later, he came out. And he said, Dave, you have to make that. That's the one. That's the GS-112. And I, I, was, I remember kind of going, gee, I don't know. But uh, honestly, I, you know, in retrospect, he really called it. All right. And uh, so uh, GS stands for Georgia and Stella, who are my kids. But, but it, maybe it should stand for Gary. Says. Uh, <laughs> Willis. Gary, with the Gary's S on the end. Apostrophe S. You know, so, uh, yeah. no, so uh, we, love to, we love to show the stuff to players and get their input, but, but we don't design by committee. Sure. Because then you get really confused designs. Yeah, you gotta pick your thing and, and go with it. We have to. And, and uh, uh, again, I work with a great engineer if, if I didn't. Uh, it would be impossible. Yeah. Uh, Goran Stankovic is uh, our new engineering partner, uh, and uh, he's terrific. We have great communication because uh, I couldn't realize the designs by myself. Uh, everybody sure. would get electrocuted. We wouldn't want that. So <laughs> it'd be really it sounds great, but bad for it. the reputation, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, that's how we do it. Yeah, cool. And then obviously, going from amplifiers, mm -hmm. you've got a range of cabinets right. and. Right. Most recently, we've had the super lightweight one mm twelves, -hmm. mm -hmm. and you're bringing out super light two ten as well, mm -hmm. and and the two twelve. Is that right? Well, we have uh, the super light SL one twelve. Mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago, we brought out the SL four ten X. Okay. And uh, uh, so we've had that for a while. Now we have the uh, variant of that, which is the SL two ten, which is brand new, mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, I think about a year or two ago, we brought out the SL212. Right. So uh, really have the uh, uh, the ability to yeah. mix and match. Oh, and and uh, I almost forgot. Uh, a year ago, we brought out an SL115, which is a great cabinet. Oh, cool. No tweeter in it, but it 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 sounds very full range. Mm. Um, I, I I play a 15, and I don't generally use the tweeter on it. For some some of the 15s, I actually have quite a lot of. They go up pretty. They they go yeah. up pretty high. I mean, you're really just not going to get what the, what you want from a tweeter around two and a half, three k. Mm. 
And a lot of times that's going to be air or string noise. And sometimes you want that in there. You want that blended in to mm -hmm. kind of add some sizzle. Yeah. Um, but often uh, it's not necessary. Sure. That's, and then that's why when we have a tweeter, it has a, a variable potentiometer on the back. Yeah. Uh, so you can get the amount that you need or don't need. Yeah. And um, the future, what's kind of anything in the pipeline? What are you guys mm -hmm. looking to develop or build on next? Well, uh, we haven't talked about pickups. So pickups, yeah. we uh, uh, started doing pickups a few years ago, and that's a really big and growing part of our business. Yeah. We're uh, making it for many manufacturers. We don't do any true uh, what you know, what you call OEM designs, where somebody might say, "This is a uh, uh, designed. This is a Spectre pickup designed by Aguilar." The pickups that Spectre is using, or ESP or Ibanez, are all the exact same, the same pickups you that you can buy store. at retail. So uh, again, it's like just sticking with your one thing and people using it, you know, not designing by committee, just having, well, this is it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's our job. Yeah. Our job is to design the gear and and uh, hopefully it's gonna be gear that, that is gonna help people make their music. Mm. Um, sometimes we'll work with a, 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 an instrument builder and they'll say, well, and it usually goes like this. Well, that's, that's the best <coughs> jazz bass pickup we've ever heard. But I was thinking, what, <laughs> I was thinking, what if we, what could we do to add more mid-range to it? And I think, all right, why would I do that? You know, it's like, well, because it's, it's, it's everything's a complex equation. So yeah. we could, you could say, well, we can add more wire to it, but do we add a different gauge? Yeah. Do we, what is the overlap pattern going to be? And it's going to shift the frequency response as, the, as you know, so. Yeah. There's no there's no free lunch in the in, de, in the design world. Everything matters. So, my usual response then is, look, you said you really like the pickup. This is what we're making, and nine times out of ten, uh, that works out just fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we're working on new pickup designs. We have a new uh, pickup that we're going to be uh, we've announced, and we did a soft announcement at Summer Nam. Uh, it's an original style P-Base pickup, like from 1951 through 55. Uh, uh, it has a really nice, very quick attack. Mm -hmm. And then the, because the pole pieces, the magnetic field is small around each pole piece, the attack dies pretty quickly, which makes it sound very funky. It's very retro and fun. Cool. Um, and when we design something like that, we also think not just about being authentic, but what could be improved. So if you change the winding pattern and the overlap of the mm -hmm. the winds, all of a sudden you find out that you have better string to string bounce and you change the resonant peaks. Yeah. So uh, especially like on a five string pickup, we try we eliminate the uh, the hollow B string. Yep. The dreaded hollow B string where you have to either feather it or hit it harder. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants that. No. So uh, in my opinion, that's a pickup issue more than scale length and okay. uh, string uh, gauge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I play um, an F bass, and I know mm -hmm. the F bass have sure. been using Aguilar pickups for a right. while. And I think for a company like that, to the everything they use is pretty much in house, right? Apart from now, right. their pickups. So I'd say that's a pretty big right. compliment that somebody like F bass would go, "Yep, 
Aguilar pickups are going to be in all our bases from and, now on. And we, we feel that way too. I think uh, F Basis is a great builder. Yeah. They make fantastic bases. We have a we have some at uh, at our showroom with, right. with our pickups in them. Yeah. Uh, F Basis, Federa, Spectre. Yeah. Uh, a lot of great companies uh, are using our pickups. We're very grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, so we're to answer your question about what we got in the in the pipeline sure. is. Uh, the 51 P base pickup. We're doing a new uh, Stingray style pickup uh, with ceramic bars, which offers kind of a little bit more harmonic development, but still a very snappy kind mm -hmm. of present sound. Uh, so I think new pickup designs are in the in the cards. Um, we're working on some new pedals. Uh, it could be some new amps in the future. It's a little early <laughs> to say. Um, yeah. You know, and I we'll keep expanding the SL cabinet line for sure. Cool, great. Well, it's been awesome um, getting a chance to speak with you, Dave. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate your time, and it's awesome gear. So keep good to keep doing what you guys are doing, and I'm sure people will keep using it to make great music. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Dave. All right, there you have it, Dave Binshoft, everybody from Aguilar. Um, what a great story. So much interesting um, backstory that I didn't know of. So I hope you enjoyed that one. If you enjoyed this episode, then please um, consider subscribing, leaving a review, jumping on the Bass Lessons Melbourne YouTube page, Facebook um, page, Instagram, if you do that kind of thing, giving that a thumbs up, giving it a share. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be back soon with another episode. Catch you.